Welcome to episode seven of the Pharmacist Matters podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bates. Be sure to listen to the previous episodes and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform. There certainly are lots of things going on in the world these days as we have entered stage three of the economy reopening. And it reminds me that now more than ever, facts and science matter and the underlying evidence supporting vaccinations and other health public health solutions are critical. The anti-vaxxer and anti-mask movement is spreading misinformation and putting at risk people's health. Preparing for a potential second wave of COVID-19, alongside being ready for the expected surge in demand during the flu vaccination season, is going to be an important success factor in keeping people healthy and the economy open. The Ontario Pharmacists Association is stepping up our efforts to advocate for our five-point plan to protect public health, which includes COVID-19 testing for asymptomatic patients in pharmacies to help add capacity to public testing centers in the event of a second wave, inclusion of high-dose flu vaccine in pharmacies for the upcoming flu season, a vaccination top-up fee to cover the cost of personal protective equipment, among other additional risks and costs associated with the upcoming flu season, out-of-pharmacy vaccinations to help manage safe distancing and provide maximum flexibility, also to ensure that we have pharmacy-led distribution of the flu vaccine in all parts of the province. Capacity is going to be a challenge as all healthcare providers have to maintain social distancing and will not be able to meet the usual capacity of past seasons. Now, circling back to the last episode, episode six of the Pharmacist Matters podcast, we examined racism in pharmacy. It's a topic that we are going to continue to address in future episodes. I'd love to hear your feedback on previous episodes, and I welcome hearing from our listeners. On today's program, we are going to discuss the world of cannabis, and particularly where things are at with medical cannabis. Joining me on the program today are two experts in this field, Dr. Mark Ware and Robert Kalarza. Dr. Mark Ware is Canopy's Growth Chief Medical Officer. Dr. Ware is responsible for the advancement of research and spectrum therapeutics, Canopy Growth's global medical cannabis brand. He is an associate professor in family medicine and anesthesia at McGill University. Over the past 10 years, he has served as the director of clinical research of the Allen Edwards Pain Management Unit at McGill University Health Center and executive director of the nonprofit Canadian Consortium for the investigation of cannabinoids. Dr. Ware continues to practice pain medicine at the McGill University Health Center and has acted as an advisor on medical cannabis policy to the Canadian government since 2001. He also served as vice chair of the Federal Task Force on the Legalization of Regulation of Cannabis in Canada in 2016 and is a recognized global leader in medical cannabis research. And I'm also pleased to welcome Robert Gallerset to the program. Robert Galarza is the CEO of TrueTrace Technologies, developer of the first integrated blockchain platform to register and track intellectual property for the global cannabis market. Robert has over 10 years of experience in advertising and mass media communications, over seven years of experience as a corporate transactional attorney, and over eight years of experience in digital technology, specifically focused on mobile platform development, software as a service solution, and blockchain. Robert received his Bachelor of Science in Advertising from the University of Texas in 2005 and a Doctorate of Jurisprudence from the St. Mary's University College of Law in 2009. I'm really uh, intrigued and excited to hear from both of our guests today on this evolving product and therapeutic area. 
there's so much information out there about cannabis, both from a recreational and medicinal perspective. And I really wanted to start with, with you, Dr. Ware, to get a sense of where things stand and the status of, of medical cannabis, um, you know, with respect to the Cannabis Act that was passed legalizing adult use uh, cannabis and the previous, uh, uh, you know, certainly on the medicinal side, the ACMPR you know, where, where do things stand from your perspective? Um, if you could just give our listeners uh, an update on, on where the status is. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I think the, the key word is evolution. Um, what we're experiencing today in the medical and recreational cannabis space is really an evolving process of regulatory change and understanding how cannabis fits into our society. It's worth remembering that Canada began the journey of medical cannabis back in 1999 with the first ministerial exemptions um, and leading or following from that process over 20 years of patient advocacy and pressure to allow access to cannabis for medical purposes led to a whole series of regulations leading up to the Cannabis Act of 2018, um, which, of course, legalized non-medical cannabis use for recreational purposes. And the last couple of years, I think we've been seized by this idea of recreational cannabis and the new markets and the commercial opportunities. But we have to remember that the medical program was the backstop behind all of this and that can, there continue to be patients who need access to cannabis for therapy, uh, for therapeutic purposes, um, and there continues to be a tremendous need for evidence and education. So I think while we're focusing a little bit on the recreational side, it's really important to remember that those patients are still out there. Um, and I think the whole process is one of understanding how is that recreational model establishing, what are the patients doing in this context, and then where do we go from here? It's fascinating to me with all of the uh, proliferation now of different retail outlets and information education that's available to the general public. And I'm wondering, Dr. Ware, is there any risk to public health of uh, not understanding the differences in the strains between medicinal and recreational and some people that may self-medicate and be on other medications and not perhaps understand the risks? Well, yes, I think the, the quick answer is there is, because there's a lot that we don't know. For all that we have studied for some of the individual cannabis components, and I think it's really important to remind people that when we talk about medical cannabis, we're of course not talking about one thing. The cannabis flower, the cannabis plant contains two major cannabinoids, THC and CBD, which have very different pharmacological properties um, and in different ratios. These two different compounds, along with a raft of other cannabinoids and terpenes, and it's a very complex botanical mixture, uh, which actually makes it really interesting, but also really challenging, um, that we're actually talking about a range of different things. What patients are using in the medical space, in many ways, it's worth thinking that medical cannabis is just the use of cannabis for medical purposes. And then you have people who use cannabis for non-medical purposes. At the, fundamentally, the difference of the products themselves can be used either way. It's the intent of the user that differentiates. So if I'm somebody who wants to use cannabis to manage my anxiety or to help me sleep, and I go into a recreational outlet, I 
should not and and in many places cannot ask the bud tender or the person working in the retail outlet for guidance should i try this strain for my sleep that is the wrong place for that and i think that's where this opens up the realm of the pharmacy because there needs to be a place where patients can go express their needs with somebody who knows and understands the difference between the products the difference between the formats the administration techniques and can then have a meaningful discussion about how it could interact with their other medications about their background medical history and and that gets to the safety issues that you mentioned. I think that clinical oversight and including pharmacies in the role of distribution and dispensing medicinal cannabis is, is one of the, the current gaps in the system that you've identified. And, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are as it relates to the two streams. Do you think that um, in the future, from a policy perspective, they'll maintain the, the separate regulations with the Cannabis Act uh, and the um, the access uh, to the medicinal cannabis through the ACMPR? When the task force made its recommendations uh, a few years back, it was it was recommended that they leave the medical cannabis plan in place. So a patient wanting cannabis for medical purposes goes to their physician, receives an authorization, and then they can purchase cannabis from a registered licensed producer entirely online. It's worth remembering that when that system was initially set up, and this is going back several years now, pharmacists were envisaged to be part of that process. Pharmacies are the trusted healthcare um, Con con a trusted member of the healthcare community in many, many, many parts of Canada. So it made sense to have the pharmacies involved. At a, at a certain point in time, years ago, the pharmacist walked away and said, there's no way we want cannabis in our pharmacies. And they actually stepped away from the table. So the whole regulatory structure was set up so that patients had to buy their cannabis directly from the producer, which, and you think about it, is a very unusual situation for a health product. And I think it's really, really important that the pharmacists get back into this as a place where patients can go have a meaningful conversation about the products, about their about their risks. They don't have this opportunity with the healthcare professional themselves. They're often too busy, or sadly, they don't have the knowledge or the training to be able to talk meaningfully about cannabis with patients. So I, I, I do think the pharmacist is a really, really important part of this. But it, they, they, obviously, we have to make that happen. It's not currently written in the legislation, and it needs to be uh, something which is advocated for. You raise a great point about being at the table, and I know we've done a number of uh, various initiatives to highlight the importance of uh, including pharmacists in the role, uh, and it's something that we will continue to advocate for. And, and I think early days, there was uh, a lack of uh, knowledge about the product and perhaps some uh, hesitation, but certainly the, the role of cannabis in therapeutic treatment, certainly as the evidence base continues to um, demonstrate the value and, and the clinical evidence supporting for certain conditions, uh, the role of cannabis in treating patients, particularly as it relates to pain and, and elements of, uh, of various uh, conditions. Uh, you're going to see more and more pharmacists embrace this. I want to bring in Robert uh, to the discussion uh, and just have a little bit of background on uh, what uh, your company does and what you see the role of traceability in uh, this product. I mean, we certainly have traceability uh, in the supply chain for other pharmaceutical products, and I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are as it relates to cannabis. Yeah, well, thank, thank you again for having me as well. Um, you know, our, uh, you know, our company, True Trace, we were 
founded in, in 2018. Uh, but in truth, we, we come from about a decade of experience in the, in the cannabis sector, uh, starting in Southern California and working our way up into, into Canada and around 2015 as we started seeing the evolution of, of the space kind of unfolding under, under the uh, MMPR. Um, one of the things that um, is really unique and interesting when you look at uh, traceability, and, and, and Mark uh, so eloquently, you know, described this as well, is these are very unique products with a multitude of different characteristics associated with them. And because of the way that they are grown, cultivated, propagated, and the way that they actually express themselves in an organic fashion, uh, there's a myriad of different data points associated with those particular products. And so one of the unique things that we uh, came across in California in a, in a very aggressive recreational market uh, in, the, in the in early 2010s was a very um, difficult time identifying and, and uh, tracking down the actual products themselves, right? So you could you, you could track the name, you could look at the location, but uh, inevitably what would happen is you would have substitution of product taking place because of the nature of the way that the commercial business was unfolding at the time. And so we looked at this industry as, as one that could really... Um, uh, be supported by systems where we could we could we could help track and manage uh, granular detailed data on products. Um, you know the differentiation between pharmacy and and uh, cannabis at its core, uh, in a lot of ways, also has to do with the way that the, the particular medicines are manufactured, um, the the molecular structure and how the formulations are crafted and created in, in pharmacy. Uh, a, there's a much longer historical framework for how the it's been created, but you know, B, we're not talking about a, an organic substance that's you know, potentially changing uh, from lot to lot, which which poses to as Mark said, it poses a very unique challenge in terms of being able to provide uh, not only you know consistent medicine, but consistent outputs in terms of um, how those particular patients are uh, are getting treatment. So we looked at traceability and said, let's take this a little bit a little bit deeper than just tracking the green stuff as it goes from point A to point B, and and dive a little deeper into the most granular data we could possibly find on the products, which really came down to the detailed. Uh, quality details, and that was everything from, you know, detailed chemistry uh, and more broad chemistry to potentially even genetics, metabolomics, there's some new unique things that are coming to the table as well. We're, we're as a technology system, we're here to try to help manage information on those systems or on those data points. Um, but the the robustness of them is still uh, evolving as well, which is again very exciting in terms of what this industry is doing. I think in a lot of ways, cannabis has the opportunity to really push the envelope for uh, quality and transparency that we haven't even seen in, in other sectors. I know a lot of uh, listeners uh, don't necessarily understand what blockchain is, and it might be uh, worthwhile for, for you to explain a little bit, how do you use blockchain in this uh, technology and exactly how does it work? Absolutely. Um, you know, my, my, my partner, uh, Tommy, has been in the enterprise uh, technology space for over two decades, uh, and we have a, a pretty extensive background doing complex architectural systems for your big Fortune 500 companies. So understanding the complexity of, of big business and how, how they need to operate together. You know, when blockchain first came into the forefront of kind of the, the, the global conversation, um, you know, a lot of the conversations were around the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies and, and monetization and how we do transactions globally with a digital currency. Um, what was unique, though, is at its core, what blockchain essentially is, is it's a database. Um, but the structure of that database is designed in a way that you can have multiple participants uh, connected to and supporting 
that database. So from an accessibility perspective, uh, from a security perspective, there is a lot of incredible benefits that make the data uh, immutable, uh, and it makes it, it makes the data actually very easily accessible within a structure. Now, our particular blockchain at, at TrueTrace, we focused on utilizing a solution that was very, uh, it was actually the same framework that IBM and SAP were implementing, which was uh, done with the Linux Foundation called Hyperledger. And the reason we focused on that particular type of blockchain is it was designed with a uh, permissioned um, a model in mind, understanding that, you know, oftentimes you're going to have people that you want to be a part of the ecosystem of communicating data that might be competitive participants, right? So you need to be very cognizant of understanding where those connections should lie and where that data should be shared and, and what info data should be, is it, what data is most critically important in terms of going up and down the supply chain for accessibility. And so we focused very much on, on the quality uh, data, the testing data, the analytical testing data, and, and uh, another uh, sub points of that data within that particular database. So, you know, blockchain at its core, it's a database, but it's designed in a way where you can have multiple participants supporting it, uh, which then protects the information. And it also makes it more easily accessible uh, when the when the volume of the information gets much larger and larger over time. That's really helpful. Um, certainly describing it uh, and how it would apply to a pharmacist practicing in a pharmacy. Uh, how would they use this, uh, your technology, to benefit their patients and to, uh, you know, certainly as it relates to uh, medicinal cannabis. But if you could just maybe elaborate a little bit on that. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know, and, and honestly, even for ourselves as, as as a team that came from technology and and cannabis as a background. You know, we had the fortunate opportunity to, to get introduced to the, the team at, at Shoppers. Um, uh, Ken Weisbrod, who's the vice president over there, uh, I would say that Shoppers has definitely been kind of one of the larger pharmacy names or the primary pharmacy name that's taken kind of a lead role in investigating cannabis uh, as a part of their business, as we've seen. One of the unique challenges that that we um, were that was communicated to us when we had conversations with with Ken was the the way in which pharmacists are typically accustomed to uh, understanding the medicine that they're prescribing. And you know Mark Mark made a great point and and you know I always uh, what it was what I read was that pharmacists are the stewards of medicine over time, which makes a lot of sense, right? I have a lot of doctor friends who don't know as nearly as much about the medicine as the pharmacist that I know. So it makes a lot of sense that the understanding that medicine really comes to the details around that medicine. Um, and when you're when you're dealing with typical pharmaceuticals, again, we're dealing with an industry, as you guys know very well, uh, that, that's, that's obviously much more rooted in history and tradition, uh, but also all of the, a lot of the um, you know, a lot of the challenges have already been uh, tackled or consistently are tackled on a daily basis. And in that framework, you're dealing with, you know, uh, oftentimes very specified uh, formulations specifically around, you know, um, around the, the, the molecular structure of the particular products. Uh, with cannabis, you know, the, the again, the uniqueness of these particular products is we are dealing with the botanical. Uh, so, you're going to potentially see variabilities from a lot to lot, even from the same genetic products themselves uh, in terms of the output. So really what shoppers and the pharmacists that we spoke with and where our mission kind of was in terms of the program that we've unfolded with, with shoppers and University Health Network was really designed around if we're going to be able to take as much granular quality details, so the major cannabinoids, the minor cannabinoids, the sherpene data, you know, genetic data, or any other quality data associated to the manufacture of a product, 
if we can ex- access, manage, and store that information from a lot-to-lot basis, it provides us with a very powerful tool to be able to communicate that data up and down the chain. Uh, obviously, that data is is owned by our, our licensed producer partners, their products, it's their, it's their quality details. But when we can start to connect that into a larger ecosystem, what it does is it gives the pharmacist the ability to access that information as the products are coming in. So they know that, okay, this is going to live within a particular range of products that I'm actually prescribing to the, or not prescribing, that I'm delivering to these patients under prescription. Now, the the again, the unique thing is, is part of understanding what data matters on those products is really, I think, where um, where the research is going to come in over the next you know few years, which is very exciting to even be supporting that because you know we may find you know that those major cannabinoids are incredibly important, but there's a certain combination of minor cannabinoids or terpenes associated to products that might be having a particular outcome effect, and and that to us uh, you know that's the beautiful part about where Canada is in this industry is. You know, there's such a um, there's such an accelerated head start on research and development still, um, which I think will only help the medical community accept this because we're big believers in the in the medicine as a treatment, and that really is the core. I think we, if we can start to you know check the boxes for the pharmacies, the pharmacists, and check the boxes for the doctors, uh, and at the same time provide you know make sure that operators like Canopy or Print Spectrum are providing you know this high quality medicine to patients. It's a it's a really big win in our, in our opinion. I'm glad you mentioned data and research because that's one of the areas that uh, I'm wondering, uh, Doctor, where if you can uh, weigh in on uh, as it uh, relates to where where things stand with the recent research uh, with medicinal cannabis, uh, the efficacy for indications around pain, dementia, or other conditions, um, and and what do you see as the future uh, in terms of where this product's going to evolve to? Yeah, great question. So I see probably you know three broad pathways forward um in the in the in the future of this space and it's funny that robert used the term you know we're believers it it's if it's a funny thing you don't sort of hear that around other medicinal products but there's this feeling that we know it's working and it's doing something the challenge of course is putting that into data and putting it into a convincing evidence base that can then drive education and 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 drive behaviors going forward and and inform patients and uh, and health professionals about what they can can choose. So the pathways that I see are one is the, the pharmaceutical path, which is doing the phase one, two, three clinical trials for an established proven indication. We've seen this uh, happen for cannabinoids already. Uh, there are synthetic cannabinoids, nabilone, that's already in the pharmacy. It's been around for a very long time. It's an approved medicine, uh, fully, you know, fully covered. And, that, and there are other cannabinoids. THC is available in some parts of the world as a prescription medicine. Uh, THC and CBD is a combination or a mucosal space is also available in Canada. And these are existing prescription cannabinoids. And, that, and that's a very, very classical prescription model. So that's one stream. That, of course, requires a highly, highly stable, highly reproducible, um, very, very meticulously quality controlled product with a massive investment of money in doing the phase three trials to establish the, 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 the claim that this drug can be used to treat this condition. Then you kind of have a middle path where people are using cannabis as a sort of self-care thing. And Canada is exploring the idea now of of a framework of cannabis health products where you don't need a physician to prescribe it or authorize it, but you could go into the pharmacy much as you can to buy 
buy a vitamin or a supplement and it would be regulated so that the consumer would know that it's coming from a quality source but it would have the ability to make a softer claim you know may help with inflammation or joint pain or stress or sleep uh, have a lower level of evidence but still a reasonably robust level of quality control much as we have with the natural health products um, but this would then be something which could provide access for consumers who aren't looking for prescription medicines but would pay out of pocket or you know pay through the, the pharmacy's uh, access points um, and then of course there's the purely recreational side where we, we are actually very interested to see as recreational cannabis rolls out people trying it and coming back to their clinician or to us as a company or as researchers and saying I've just noticed that when I use cannabis I'm actually discovering that my tremors are better or my pain is better or I have these very surprising health responses and that real world evidence that ability to watch what's happening in the real world is a very different form of clinical study than the pharmaceutical path but it actually it all comes together and drives our information base so we may see in the coming um, weeks months years some very interesting signals coming out of real world utilization that could then be taken into by companies that have the the will to engage in the long term and the highly risky uh, drug development pathway to take them into the pharmaceutical channel so i think we've got a range of options ahead of us um, and it's a very exciting time to be in the space. How do you think uh, physicians are embracing uh, medicinal cannabis? I know that the the authorizations prescribing uh, was relatively low at the beginning, and, and I'm wondering, has that changed? Has the attitudes or perceptions evolved uh, along with the research and the product? Yeah, I don't know if I'd use the word embracing exactly uh, for physicians and cannabis. It's been a very tricky relationship because, of course, you know, cannabis is coming from a very long history of prohibition. There have been, a, you know, a lot of um, myths and misconceptions about cannabis over decades decades. And so that's still built into the system. Doctors are still not taught about cannabis or the endocannabinoid system in medical schools as a general rule. So there's a lot of misunderstanding of cannabis as a general, uh, as a principle. Um, I think what's happened is that the medical program put a lot of doctors on the defensive. They were being asked to support access to a product that hadn't been through the classical drug development pharmaceutical channel. And that was the, the classical training that most physicians had. So there was a reticence. And of course, there was a feeling that this was being driven by ulterior motives. And so there was this immediately this kind of backlash against the medical cannabis from, from the class conventional medical uh, agencies. Um, once recreational cannabis came along, there was an ability for patients to now go and buy their cannabis from a store without having to go and bother their physician. And so a lot of the medical associations said, well, look, that's perfect. You're, you need cannabis, you go and buy it. You don't have to come and get an authorization because it's not really medicine. Uh, th that bothers me. I think that that's a, a failure to communicate with the patient about what their needs are. I think that is changing. I think a lot of doctors are realizing that as they see this thing roll out, as they understand more about the, the drug and they recognize that a lot of the um, potential harms are, are are not transpiring to be as as big as people thought, and as they see people come in with transformative responses, they're dropping their other medications, they're seeing responses 
responses to clinical problems that were not being managed with existing therapies, there's a slow feeling that maybe there's a role for this. Um, I just think that what they're waiting for is data. And I think the work that uh, that Robert, the True Trace, that Choppers, um, U of T, these kinds of real-world evidence studies, the work that we're doing at Canopy with the Spectrum programs to provide good information for physicians to make informed health decisions um, is is going to move this thing forward. It's just, it takes time. Clinical studies and clinical research is a long, slow process. And so in the meantime, patients are still struggling. I know we're starting to see more and more payers step up and include cannabis in their coverage. Um, I'm wondering, Robert, are you sharing that data that you're collecting? Is that being shared in any capacity with public payers and government capacities and also in the private um, payer space, uh, or is it specific to each of the uh, pharmacy organizations? How, how would you envision that uh, rolling out? Yeah, I think, I think that, um, you know, right now it's still very limited. Uh, as Mark said, we're very much in the early stages of the industry, very early stages of, I think that's one of the even one of the unique challenges of where cannabis lies in the Canadian marketplace, as well as the global marketplaces, I think the, the, the mentality that we all want to have is we want this industry to mature faster than it naturally is. It, it, it should be allowed to, right? We, we should naturally be allowed to make mistakes and change and take a left and take a right and, and evolve as the standards are starting to unfold and as the manufacturers are starting to learn more and more and, and the doctors are learning more and more research is coming online. So the, the overarching objective is absolutely what you want to be able to have is a solution where we're part of a larger data ecosystem, right? Where our system is a part of a, of a much larger wheel with a number of other additional companies doing great work in the sector uh, from a technology perspective and from a manufacturing and a production as well as a distribution perspective. And as that information can then be connected into research, being able to then provide that back into you know, the, your, your insurance, your regulatory sector, your financial sector, all play a significant role. I think the other thing that's really important to, to always be cognizant of is that this still is a, a psychoactive narcotic in terms of certain aspects of it and still look like looked at that way in uh, pretty much every other jurisdiction outside of, outside of Canada. And so we're in a very unique um we have a very unique opportunity in that we, you know, we can we have the ability to have this recreational market blossom and grow, but at the same time, I, I think it's very important. I think Mark Mark pointed this out. It, like you really don't want to lose sight of what those patients are needing from a medical perspective, uh, specifically on you know, how those particular products works. And then the other thing that was brought to our attention from the pharmacist was the potential contraindications of other medications. And you know the e, the e health network that was created for for pharmacy, you know, and, and a, a tremendous money and research went into it, uh, cannabis lives outside of that right now. And that's very unfortunate um, that that's the case because you really, you know, it, it should be, whether it is classified as a recreational product, a medical product, a pseudo-medical product, a natural health product, it, it should be a part of an overarching uh, health solution and, and formulation for a particular individual, right? And so, you know, having systems that can connect into, you know, all of the other systems that are in place, managing, you know, patients and managing um, individuals' personal health, I think is a, is a critical part of the pathway forward. But with that being said, um, you know, we, we do need to get there, right? It's part of the process of like, let's continue to take the steps forward and give, uh, you know, give, give all of us as companies the opportunity to continue 
progressing um, because it's it's maturing incredibly fast. I mean, you know, legalization was, really wasn't that long ago in terms of the, the passing of the Canada Act, and even even if you look at the framework of when uh, you know when the the industrial uh, medical framework came into place and more sophisticated, uh, we're talking 2013. So you're, you're not talking about having, you know, 20, 30 years under an industry um, to go through its process and cycles. So we're still very early in the, in the, in the, in the stage. However, with that being said, the, the very encouraging part is that you, you do have cannabis breaking ground, breaking ground in innovation, breaking ground in, in product manufacturing, breaking ground in research, breaking ground in technology. There's almost like a, a willingness to try new things because it is a new industry. Uh, and so we're able to kind of push the envelope, hopefully a lot faster than, uh, than, than other sectors. I'm wondering what the market looks like now that we've seen legalization through the Cannabis Act uh, in place for a couple of years. You talked about the fact that this is not a, a mature market. And uh, from the recreational standpoint, um, I'm, you know, maybe this is a loaded question, but Dr. Ware, I'm wondering your thoughts on, on whether or not you think the uh, legalization has worked. Has it achieved its objectives? Uh, in normalizing the product, um, in decriminalizing, uh, eliminating or at least reducing the, the black market influence, and specifically around the distribution model of the Ontario Cannabis Store. You know, you, you talked earlier about some of the perceptions of physicians and that it's going to take time to change. But hearing that, that some still believe that, you know, what's the difference? Perhaps we should have a single stream recreational uh, with the retail distribution and exist today and expand on that, that concerns me from a public health uh, perspective and thinking about it from a patient-centric model. So how do we protect that? Uh, what do we need to do and uh, you know, ensure that there is still a medicinal access through having that clinical oversight beyond perhaps just the pain clinics that exist today? What are your, what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, so so lots in that question. I, I think first of all, it has it worked. Um, I think it's probably fair to say it's working, but it's way too early to decide if it's worked or not. The policy objectives of legalizing cannabis in Canada were were quite complex. They were certainly not economic drivers. They were public health and public safety. So it's a little too soon after only two years in to say whether it's worked or not. I think we're definitely seeing people move from the illicit market into the illicit market, but we're learning a lot about what the, what's driving those behaviors, price, quality, uh, those are obviously important things. Access are, are, are still massive drivers. That, that in order, If you're going to have that reduction of illicit market, then you need to be able to provide an, an opportunity for people to purchase cannabis that way. And I think we're still evolving that. We're still seeing retail outlets open up. We're still seeing different provinces experiment with different models. So it's much too soon to say. I, I, we are seeing patients move from the medical channel into the recreation. We're definitely seeing some shifts around that as they find it easier to get cannabis through those processes than going through their clinician. Um, but I think it's really important sort of to your final point about what the, um, what the Cannabis Act set up was a five-year review. And I think this is really important that we're sort of two years into a, uh, a new model of cannabis uh, regulation. Um, but they said, let's leave the medical program in place for five years and then revisit 
and see what what is it that we actually need? What do patients need in, in five years, given that they can go and buy cannabis now in different forms recreationally? Do they still need to go to the doctor? If they do, then what does that look like? Is it a pure prescription model or is it somewhere in between? Um, I think that these are very, very important things that, uh, and I like to say that rather than answer the question, you know, what, what do you think it will look like? It, it's what do we want it to look like? This is for every one of us to decide what do we think it should look like? What is the pharmacy channel want this to look like? What do the industry want this to look like? And then we can shape this. That's the wonderful thing about the time that we're in now. We can actually work with government. I mean, some people are skeptical about that, but I firmly believe that we can input into this process pieces that will make available a cannabis program that will meet the needs of the recreational consumer and the, the medical patient uh, in a way that gives them what they need and, and that we can continue to gather data. This is a long-term game. This is not a, a two, three-year thing. This is going to be with us for 10, 20 years down the road. We'll still be gathering information and these efforts that uh, Robert and his colleagues are working on will start to feed us information. Um, but uh, So it, it's it's definitely too soon to pass judgment on, on, on finality, but it's really important that people know that this is an opportunity for us to shape what the future looks like of cannabis. Well, I like the opportunity to shape it. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for how we go about that from a pharmacy perspective. And have you, you know, with the market trends uh, and the data that you have seen, have we seen any changes in demand as it relates to medicinal strains of cannabis uh, versus recreational? And has demand flattened in general um, since the, uh, I guess, the beginning days of legalization? I think probably the standout change in utilization patterns that I've noticed is a, a, a somewhat surprising, uh, m maybe not to those of us who've watched the public policy and seen cannabis policy shifting in other areas of the world, um, is that youth use of cannabis has not perceptibly gone up since legalization. It, it, if anything, it's gone down a bit. It's kind of less cool or whatever. You can argue why that is. But what's been really interesting is the increase in use has happened in the over 55-year age group. And again, we can get into discussions about why that might be, but a lot of it is driven by the need to self-medicate for aches and pains, for sleep, for various other sort of self-care initiatives. And I think that's really interesting. And it's this idea that we can learn from these changing behaviors about why people are using cannabis and make sure that we're informing those uh, aspects of the of the market and, and see the, how the behavior is driving what products we need. Do, and I think that whole approach to the older patient or the older person looking for, for cannabis drives us into conversations about comorbidities. Are they, do they have heart disease, diabetes? Are they taking other medications? And I think it just screams for a really robust interdisciplinary network of health professionals, pharmacists, patients, all engaging together to understand what is it that consumers want to make decisions and what kinds of products are they looking for. I think we're beginning to see how that's shifting that CBD is obviously very, very popular at the moment. Data is emerging slowly, but 
it's kind of the flavor of the month. Um, I think THC will come back again eventually because these two compounds work very differently and there's clearly benefits to, and risks to both of them. But um, I think we're going to, we, the important thing is that we're keeping our eyes on what's happening. We're tracking it carefully. And to Robert's points about, you know, tracking this process, this is fascinating from a big data standpoint. You've got the all the inputs from the plant itself, the different terpenes, the different cannabinoids, that's a rich data set. And if we can get that information inputted in and match that against the patient phenotype, who are the people using these products? What are their medical histories? What are their uh, patient characteristics? And then we can start lining up with big enough data sets, what kind of patient matches up with what kind of strain. That's the holy grail. I think we're a long way from that, but I think these are the efforts that will get us there. My sense is we, we still require quite a bit of education of the public, education of healthcare providers. Um, there's, there's so much to learn, uh, and it is complex, as you've mentioned um, on the outset. So I, I want to thank both of you for joining us on the program today. Uh, it is a fascinating topic, um, one that uh, we are monitoring very closely and actively advocating on behalf of pharmacies in, in Ontario uh, and health profession, uh, pharmacy professionals across uh, the province and, and indeed across the country as we see the the need for uh, pharmacy and clinical oversight uh, as it relates to the medicinal cannabis. So once again, thanks for sharing your insights and uh, thoughts on uh, cannabis. And uh, that's all the time we have for today's uh, podcast. And we look forward to uh, our listeners joining us in the next uh, episode, episode eight. Um, and in the meantime, be well and, uh, and stay safe.